Leafs podcast, your one-stop shop for all things Leafs. I'm your host, Mike DiStefano from TSN 1050 Toronto Radio, also known as Al's brother from TSN's Overdrive. You hit me up on Twitter at making a score Canuck. Follow the show as well at Locked On Leafs. If you like what you hear today, please consider subscribing to the podcast. Leave a rating and review as well. That would be very, very thankful for me. Um, joined today by Locked On Sens host and producer of Maple Leafs Game Night here at TSN 1050, Ross Levitan. Ross, how you doing, bud? I'm doing fantastic. It's great to be in the studio. First time I've had an interview <laughs> where we're actually looking eye to eye. So happy to be here. It is kind of strange, eh? How we like we are socially distanced, a solid at least I would say six, seven, eight, maybe eight feet, like a char length away from each other. Yeah, I would say in so, familiar seats too. We spent a lot of Leafs game nights here throughout the season. That's right, we did, we did. Um, so we had some breaking news about Travis Dermott signing his contract with the Maple Leafs. So we're going to get some some reaction here because it hasn't even the ink probably is still trying to dry right now as we sit here and talk. So we'll get to that. And then just overall thoughts, you know, you're, you're an interesting cat to have this conversation with because you are the Locked On Senators host, but you also are a producer of Maple Leafs game night. So you kind of got to wear both hats sometimes. So we're going to chat about both the off seasons for the Leafs and the Senators because I think both teams actually had pretty successful off seasons. And I'll get your thoughts on that. And then we also had the Board of Governors meetings kind of shore up here down in, uh, I think it's, are they in Boca? I don't even know where they're I having them. I think it's virtual. It, virtual, yeah. yeah. So I guess they're wherever they are. So they're not in Boca for the first time ever. Uh, so I know, doesn't that suck for them, rich bastards? But uh, so, you know, TSN's Pierre Lebrun was kind of spitting out some things that have come out of it. So we'll, we'll be talking about that as well. But let's get ahead to react to this Travis Dermott news. A one-year contract, one-way, $874,125. It's just a hair under eight seventy-five, and I just can't help but laugh. It's like they, they went to him and was like, listen, it's got to be for under eight seventy-five, And he just threw that number out there. He's like, well, how's that? And they're like, Fine. Well, poor, poor guy. It's $40,000 less than Rasmus Sandin's entry-level contract. So ah. he's, after this contract, is still of the seven defensemen here that they have potentially being Maple Leafs. I believe actually there's eight on this list, including Bogosian. He is the least of uh, in terms of money coming in for this upcoming season, but he had no leverage at all. No. Not ARB eligible. Still has four years until he's reaching unrestricted free agency. And the team knows he loves playing in Toronto. Yeah. Hell, he carved out a role that where he was playing every night. So it's a win-win from that standpoint. And I love what Brian Hayes said on Overdrive yesterday, where if they couldn't win this negotiation, then they're out of luck. They're oh, not going to win any. A hundred percent. And for the amount of negotiations that they had lost, I was talking about uh, the other day on the show, just how Kyle Dubas, after a couple of seasons where he seemingly got overpowered by the big four negotiations and got bent over the barrel a little bit, He's done a really good job digging in this offseason and getting some good quality cheap deals and kind of based out of necessity because of what had happened before and kind of bending to the will of the Marners and the Nylanders and et cetera. But now you're there because of that situation, they have to go to these guys and ask them to take pay cuts. I think it was uh, it was either Dave Poulin or it was Craig Button. One of them said that you don't ask your star players to take the pay cuts. They're going to make the money. If you're going to cut salary, and sadly, it, it comes at the expense of the bottom bottom barrel players of your roster. 
Yeah, good good players too. Kasperi Kapanen, Andreas Janssen, and if you go back, yeah, I don't year, know if they took haircuts. They're that they no, but there are reasons why you had to move on yes, from those players. Right, yes, that's where you look at the Connor Brown signing from yesterday, three point six average. Those are the types of deals you can have when your top guys aren't making over ten million. Right, you can sprinkle out these mid range contracts throughout your lineup. But hey, if you had told me ten years ago that Jason Spezza and Joe Thornton would be playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs, I would have my head would have spun right off my head. At but, league min at that. Exactly. At seven hundred K for both of them. No rest for the weary for Kyle Dubas. It's not going to be long before we start talking about the raise that Zach Hyman's do, making two point two five and the fact that your franchise starting goalie, maybe not a franchise goalie yet, went around first but $5 million is Freddie Anderson due for a raise, too. I'm not so sure to say yes, but you could use the Cody CC Arbel argument where, hey, when you play more, don't you get more money? Well, that's kind of what Freddie Anderson, as his workload has been crazy since coming to Toronto. Yeah, I think you're, you're getting ahead of us here, right? We're focusing on right now and I this know, year. So let's, let's get back on the rails here because, you know, we got to talk about Travis Dermott and kind of how this shakes out for the Leafs D pairings because it is interesting, um, you know, with the depth that the Leafs have added over the course of the offseason with TJ Brody, uh, Zach Bogosian, Miko Lettinen, who's playing really well out in Finland. Like, where does Dermott really sit here? And at 874000 it doesn't seem like a contract that screams, you got to play me. So is he a guy who you think is going to be in the lineup night in, night out? Or is he somebody who may end up in the press box for a majority games this season. I don't think it'll be to the extent that Justin Hall was a few years ago and nice no shiny. No Frankie Corrado here. No no free. No, uh, the Josh <laughs> Levos Dermott. of the world. No, yeah. it's not going to be that case with Travis Dermott. Will he potentially sit a few games? Maybe. But you look at how Dubas has created competition coming into the training camp. I love it. And let's let's just go through it then. So yeah. your first pair is going to be Morgan Riley and TJ Brody. I think Agreed. I'm almost certain on that. Brody, a left shot, but loves playing the right side, just has his whole career. I think even Babcock would play on the right side, and that tells you a lot, knowing he <laughs> loves his lefty-righty combo. And then beyond that, you have Jake, Jake Muzzin as a staple shutdown guy on your second pair, and then it gets extremely interesting because I'm of the mind I'd like to put Bogosian or Lettinen on that right side. See, this is where uh, I've, I've had many conversations with a lot of different Leafs fans and people who cover the team um, and, and we've talked about this, what happens with Justin Hall, and we will get there in just a moment because I think that conversation does need to happen. But let's go ahead and finish off who you believe this top six would be. So so Muzzin, I personally would keep Hall there right now. We okay. saw it work last season. Uh, so Muzzin and Hall would be my second pairing to start the year. And then I would go Lettinen and Bogosian as my third pairing, which kind of puts Dermot on the outside looking in. How do you have them shaking out? Well, I like what your rationale, I'm assuming, is that you have, even though he's 26 years old, but new to the NHL, have Miko Lettinen be able to rely on Zach Bogosian for those easy chips out of the zone and maybe for a bit of defensive coverage. Because you mentioned tearing up the KHL offensively, which he is, 16 points, 14 games right now. But the smaller ice, it's more in the D zone that you're going to have to ask him, you know, where do you want? Here's another thing when it comes to Miko Lettinen, and I don't know if this has been talked about a lot, but it's something that I've been thinking about recently when they discuss him being able to play on the right side. When you're playing on your offhand, often when you have to, you know, get the puck back onto your onto your right side, uh, I think it's easier to do with the larger ice surface because you don't have guys on top of you. So when you're playing in the KHL, you're playing in Finland, you kind of have more time and space to make that adjustment to get it back onto your offhand. 
is he going to be able to make that adjustment in the NHL? We've seen a lot of players come over from Russia, come over from Europe, where they have said to be guys who can play on both sides, but just can't make that adjustment for whatever reason, and then they end up playing on their traditional left-hand side or their traditional right-hand side, whichever they end up being. So I think that's why when I sit here and, and, and there are conversations about, yeah, you can stick Mikko Lettinen on the right side, but for somebody who's coming over and hasn't played on an NHL ice surface since probably, what, the World Juniors, which yeah, is years ago? 2014. Exactly. So gold I, medal, I, though, not a big deal. None. <laughs> sure, yeah, gold medal um, against, I believe, it was, would they beat Canada for it? I no. want to say so, yeah. Uh, uh, heartbreaker. But anyways, I, I just think that, you know, for the first little bit at least, until he kind of finds his way in the NHL, you kind of shelter him a little bit by playing him on a more natural left side. Yeah, I'm I'm happy with that rationale, and I also like that you have Hall there. He got the two $2 million per contract, and I think when you look at that, nobody else is making beyond $1 million, and that's Zach Bogosian. I think the little veteran bump of him not making under that, I think it's a nice fair number for a now Stanley Cup champion and high draft pick who, yeah, he never lived up to that top five pick, but he still has a really nice career. And I think that that's a really nice move for Kyle Dubas and a guy that can play up and down your lineup. Like late in a game, maybe you don't want Justin Hall out there as much, but how about a, a Muzzin pairing with Bogosian late yeah. in the game? That's big bodies. And you know when the goalie's pulled, the strategy is get as many bodies to the front of the net. So when you have two guys that can box out like Muzzin and Bogosian, I think you're in good shape. So what is going to happen here with Rasmus Sandin? I'll throw it back to you because he's the guy who I also see as if Dermot's in the press box, Sandin could still find himself with the Marlies. If there even is a Marley yeah, season, right? We don't even know if that's going to be the case either. So it, it is going to be interesting uh, to, to you know how this all shakes out because we've also heard uh, in the past how the Leafs have, have kind of considered maybe just rolling through the 20-man roster. And since they have that cap crunch, well, if you have a 20-man roster, well, do the math. That's... 12 forwards, 6 defense, 2 goalies. That's all you can dress on the ice, which means that 7th defenseman you're going to have to try and send down to the minors. Which one of Dermot, Bogosian, or Hall are you going to try and slip through waivers to do that? I don't know if any of those guys would make it through I, waivers. I, I will go out of limb. I would put money on it that they don't. Yeah. So, you know, that leads me to this next question is, you know, do, do one of these guys get moved out? And probably not Bogosian. You just brought him in. He's going to be a veteran piece. So he's not really somebody who I'm worried about. Uh, but one of Dermot or Hall, do they go into next season thinking that they got to move one of these guys? And after seeing this deal, and although I believe that I would prefer Hall on my lineup card, but after seeing this contract and, and seeing Dermot making a hair under 875 comparatively to Hall's $2 million, he could now be an expendable piece to kind of alleviate the cap problems that they're having because they are technically over the cap by a, a, almost two million bucks. And if you move out Hall, that right there ends up giving you the space you need to roster your full uh, your full lineup. But then Zach Bogosian's your only right shot defense on exactly. the whole team. That's where I have that issue too, and that's the converse, That's the argument that I've made when it comes to trading away one of Dermot or or uh, Hall. But I keep now that the contract is actually there. I feel like it's it's different now. Now is Lilgren just out of the picture because he's another so. right shot guy. I think so. Yeah, to he me, just hasn't I shown it. Yeah, like I, he needs to uh, he needs to season up a little bit more. Like I'm not putting him in the lineup over Hall or Bogosian, and not Dermot either. So yeah. it would take a considerable amount of injuries, I think, for him to get into it. 
uh, into the lineup. But the issue is if there's no AHL, I guess you got to loan him out to, and, and you mentioned it, now there's this COVID loan, but are they going to be able to do COVID loans during the season? Or like probably not, right? Even if there's no AHL, they're probably going to end up doing something like what the NHL did and kind of have a taxi squad and um, just have themselves like a, a practice rosters where they just scrimmage against each other. I, I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting. And uh, there, there wasn't much answers that came out of the Board of Governors meetings about that today, which unfortunately uh, we were hoping we would get some more answers, but we didn't. But I think it's going to be interesting to see how this defense kind of shakes out here because there's a couple of options uh, when it comes down to it. And at the end of the day, this Dermot deal, um, you know, it makes some sense for, for the Maple Leafs. And uh, he, it's cheap enough where I suppose you could keep all seven. But I don't know if I want a guy like Dermot kind of being wasted away as a, as a seventh man in the in, up in the press box when I feel like he probably could fetch you a, a decent return if you were to try and dangle him out to another team. Justin Hall, kind of the same thing. Yeah, I agree with Justin Hall being a guy who's earned it, and is he that much further along in his development? And, and I don't think he proved himself outside of the playoffs when they lost Muzzin. As long as Muzzin is in the lineup, I feel like Justin Hall is good enough as a, a second-line shutdown pairing, and he proved that by himself. Is he a number four? Heck no. No. God, no. Right? He is a third-pairing defenseman, possibly a seventh defenseman, but he proved that with Muzzin, he can work as a shutdown pairing. So that's then you have to go back because it was actually New Year's Eve that they signed him to that three-year extension. Yeah. Of course, knowing what we did then, it makes a bit more sense, but I don't know what the reason was that you felt you had to lock him up to a three-year term. Well, he was playing He was playing well, right? Like, he was playing extremely well, and, um, you know, nobody thought that COVID was going to end in a flat cap so I think that two million bucks, when it comes to percentage of cap, wasn't going to be that you know egregious as it looks now, right? So I think that probably went into it a little bit. The fact that it's three years is somebody who you figure, okay, well this is a guy who you can shove in your top six, whether it's on your second or your third pairing. Two million bucks for a top six player who plays every single night actually isn't a bad deal. Like you look around the NHL, most teams are paying $2 million bucks a season for well, somebody who re- plays every night. A recent example is Mark Borowiecki signing for that exact amount, but for one less year, and he's two years older. So yeah. a similar situation where he's just going to play top six minutes, and that's, that's fine. I just I don't know if if it really works in the least favor, just the way that their contracts are structured, where it's, you have it, so much money at the top, both on the back end, like three guys making $5 million or more. It's very possible, too, that having it be a three-year contract could have something to do with the expansion. Because I know that, you know, the year that the Vegas expansion came in, you saw a bunch of random, like, two-year extensions kind of pop up throughout the season, uh, especially with the Maple Leafs. You know, they got the cap guru banding Pridham on the team. So I, I also wonder if that was uh, a way so that they can expose him if need be because he has, you know, X years left on his contract once the expansion comes around. Um all right, let's let's talk about some of the other thoughts about uh, the Maple Leafs offseason additions, and I want to get your thoughts on overall how their offseason went and also the Ottawa Senators offseason, and we'll do that in a moment. First, I want to tell you guys all about Bilt Bar. i got to tell you guys about Bilt Bar. It's the best-tasting protein bar ever, and the new and improved Bilt Bar is even more delicious. 
They've got 18 amazing flavors and six brand new flavors that you want to check out. My favorite, cookies and cream. It is fantastic. But they also got caramel brownie, cherry barcia, carrot cake, apple, almond crisp. And that goes along with the other 12 original flavors. And we already know how much I love myself, my peanut butter brownie. The bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. And best of all, the Built Bar is healthy, folks. Built Bar is great for the health-conscious guy or gal who's looking to lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, great for the keto diet. Let me tell you a little bit about the peanut butter bar. It's got 19 grams of protein, just 180 calories, just 5 grams of sugar, and only 5 grams of net carbs. I'm telling you. These bars are healthy, they're delicious, they're amazing. And right now, you can get a free cooler with a purchase while supplies last. You just got to go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll receive 20% off your next order. Use the promo code LOCKEDON for a chance at a free cooler and 20% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, welcome back to the Locked On Lease podcast. Mike DeStefano here alongside with me, Ross Levitan, the host of the Locked On Senators podcast also the producer of Maple Leafs Game Night here in TSN 1050. So let's first start with the Leafs offseason. So some pretty big additions here. TJ Brody on the back end along with Zach Bogosian. And then they added some grit and some veteranness in Wayne Simmons, Joe Thornton, Jimmy VC. Uh, your thoughts overall on what the Leafs did this offseason? Well, I'll start with the D since we're picking up off of the first topic about how it's all going to shake out. And when I look at adding in TJ Brody and Zach Bogosian, I see that as a massive upgrade over Barry and CeCe. Why? Because I've watched Cody CeCe play for eight years, and he's not a top six defenseman, maybe in the AHL, and he's got a prove-it deal from the one GM I knew would give him a contract as well. But I just love adding that experience, and it can't be overstated. Zach Bogosian just went through probably the most difficult cup that you're going to ever see going through the bubble, and the experience that comes out of that is invaluable for this team. You add the experience up top, the active leader in points, second in games played, first in assists. The guy's got over 1,000 assists. So what you're adding in Joe Thornton as I move to the forwards is a guy who can play the half wall in the second power play unit and allow that first unit to play a normal shift. They don't have to play a minute and 45 out of the two-minute power play anymore because then... I think they like playing that, though. Certainly, but then do they like getting the second shift back at even strength after? That's where you give them a little breath and then hop back on while the other team's trying to refigure their lines as they get the guy out of the box. So I think it just adds so much flexibility. And you can say, is it too much of the same thing with him and Jason Spezza? And maybe it is. But when you have these guys at league minimum contracts, if they can still contribute, and Joe Thornton is one year removed from a 50-point season, the guy's hands are never going to go away. Now, does he play with enough pace to keep up with? The Mariners of the world and the Nylanders, that's to be seen, and that's what makes the game so fun to watch. But on paper, him as the third-line center, or if you want to reconfigure, but I like him in that spot. Third-line center, yeah. Spets at fourth line. Both those guys are great on face-offs, and it takes a bit of pressure off Alex Kerfoot as well. Yeah, I've, I've flipped back and forth on this, to be honest with you. At first, I was like, I don't see him as a third-line center. I think, you know, at 41 years old, his, his days of playing 16 minutes a game is probably over, but... Uh, I've been talked into it a little more and more as the days have gone on since the signing. So I, I could totally see him being that third line guy for the Maple Leafs. And especially since he's playing over in Davos right now, he will be kind of in midseason form once he gets to Toronto, which is going to be a bit of a benefit for them considering 
you know, of his age. And then I guess I also don't want to have Spezza and Thornton on the same line. I no, don't think you can't do that. No, and and I I just you want both of them in your lineup, and that just seems like the best way to do it. And my understanding was, or not my understanding, but I always thought that the Leafs needed to make a top nine upgrade, and that was before they added Thornton. And I suppose if you just move him into center, move Kerfoot to the wing, there's your top nine guy who could technically play up and down your lineup uh, at the wing position as well. So, um, again, I I go back and forth on on where I believe Thornton will end up being. Uh, But what about Wayne Simmons? Where do you see Wayne Simmons as? And and how big of an addition is this realistically? Are we talking him up a little bit here in Toronto, or do you think he can actually be a solid, solid piece here? All I'm going to say is there's a reason why Philly moved on and then New Jersey and then Buffalo, and I might even be missing a team in there, Nashville as well. Like If all these teams are moving on, you start to worry, but he's a guy also that I could see benefit hugely from the extended time off because he is a physical player. He's not afraid to mix it up, and he's been through wars. So to have him be as healthy as possible, I think we could see a bit of a resurgence. But where I see him is at wing, and that's kind of redundant to say we know he's a winger, but I want to say that there is in no circumstance a situation where Joe Thornton should play the wing. No. So he's a centerman. He's a 54% career faceoff guy. This past year was the first year ever that he's been under 50%, and he was 495 So <laughs> right there. You have your centerman set, and Spezza, I mentioned, great faceoff guy too. So you need to complement them with the wing. Pace. That's where I think... Simmons, not the fastest guy, but great on the four check. I don't mind a third line of Kerfoot, Thornton, and Simmons. You're not gonna yeah. have, you're not gonna blow teams out of the water with speed. But is there also, Mikey, a bit of a situation where you throw that line over the boards? Yeah, they crash and bang a little bit, and they can get things done in the offensive zone. But then all of a sudden, if you change on the fly and you throw Marner Nylander out there, out there, you catch them off off. On, on their heels a little bit on the, on the defensive side. So I think that especially Sheldon Keefe, a really smart coach, he can utilize this this You're right. top-end speed and the lower-end speed and, and use it to his advantage. You're right. You're right. And I, I do think that uh, Sheldon Keefe is a coach who, who understands that and will try and use that to his advantage as much as possible. Uh, really quickly before we move on and talk about the Sens offseason a little bit, which I know you're getting giddy to do, um, of the guys who were – who are gone. So Kapanen, Janssen, Clifford, Tyson Berry, Cody Cece uh, might be leaving somebody out. But those VC. are the... Uh, no, VC's coming in. I'm talking about the guys oh, who are gone. Oh, guys leaving. Yeah, yeah. yeah of course. So um, of those guys who, who are gone, because, you know, this season, how many times did you hear come out of Leaf fans like, oh, I wish we still had Nazem Kadri? Almost every single game. Yeah. Really, especially in the playoffs. Of those guys who are gone, who do you think is that player who we're going to look back and say, oh, I wish we still had that guy? That's in a great question, too. I'll first off say it's not Cody Cece. No. Secondly, I'll say it's not Tyson Berry. And Kyle Clifford, nice, energizing player, but he's not a guy you're going to miss. So and it I comes think they down. replaced him with, with Wayne Simmons, a, yeah, a oh, better they player. Certainly did. And yeah. it's just the. the the, Maybe uh, not as much toughness, but he brings a bit more experience in right. what he lacks in toughness yeah. in, in the old school sense of the word where Clifford's the first guy to drop, to the, drop mitts. the mitts. And I yeah. think he did in his first game, I want to say. First couple games. First yeah. couple games with Toronto. He definitely made it clear why he was brought <laughs> in. But to answer your question, I'll go with Kasperi Kapanen. And maybe I'm hesitant to say this because I don't know how good Pittsburgh's going to be next year. Their back end scares me a lot, but they still have the two best centers in the league, 
with Certainly. with Crosby and Malkin. Wow. He. Yeah. Oh, as as a duo. Well, as a duo. I mean, McDavid and Drysdale yeah. at this point in their careers True. might have uh, an argument, but go on. True. Yeah, and that is pause for thought. And I mean, Matthews and Tavares are say, right that, up there as well. That's also another one. That yeah, especially this audience, we got to be making sure we pay our respects <laughs> there. But I mean, you look at the pedigree of both those guys. You know that he's going to get a chance to play with one of them. And just ask Connor Sherry how it worked out for him. Ask Jake Gensel, who actually I believe is a really good player regardless. Ask Pascal Dupuis. The list goes Chris on. Chris Kunitz. Chris Kunitz. And Won even, himself a gold yeah. medal just because he sat shotgun to Crosby for a True. few years. Yeah, the amount of guys whose careers have, have ballooned after being put with 87 or 71 down in Pittsburgh have just made me believe that Kasperi Kapanen, I see a 25-goal season out of him. I don't know if that's a hot take or not. I, I know he's put up goals with Toronto. I don't think it's a hot take. I think it's like that would be a good uh, if he can get there. That's that's a good season for yeah. him. And they gave but him a first rounder. So yeah, like, I don't think it's out of the question. Yeah, so they clearly plan on giving him the opportunity to do it. And I agree with you. I think Kapanen is a guy that I also think that was saying, ah, I wish we had him. I think it might be because of the speed factor, right? Like a lot of the guys that got brought in are are uh, a, a lot slower and. Some nights I feel like when you're going up against a team who's got a lot of sp- uh, a lot of foot speed and, and maybe we get beat to pucks a little bit and you're going to say, oh, I wish we had a guy like Kapanen who could just fly down Brown. the wing, right? Or a Connor Brown who could just fly down the wing and uh, you know bring that speed element that, that's going to be lacking in the bottom six that we had this season. Uh, speaking of Connor Brown, let's move on to your Ottawa Senators. And Connor Brown just signed himself a pretty nifty deal. Uh, three years, was it 10, 10 and change? Ten and change, yeah. I know it breaks down to three point six. With mm-hmm. the last two years are four, and then taking a little bit of the COVID cut for the first year. Right, and I don't. So obviously, a former Maple Leaf scored twenty goals, uh, setting shotgun to Austin Matthews, had a career high forty three points last season. But I never really saw him as a top six guy. And at three point eight, that seems a little rich to me. Three point six, but not that that's a huge difference. But I think that in a structure where. You're hoping Drake Batherson steps into a top six role in Ottawa as soon as this season. He's barely not Calder eligible because he got a bigger taste last year as well. But he's a guy who I think sends fans. And I I worked a few, a few games there last two years, actually, in Belleville. So I got to watch Drake develop down there. And he was an all-star both years. Could have been an MVP candidate this past year. He is a solid player. Now he's still on his entry level, but you're hoping he slides into that top six. You went out. I'm sure we'll touch on Dadanov as an offseason pickup. He is guaranteed top line right winger for this team. So it does push Connor Brown down. Last year he led all forwards in ice time with in Ottawa, just over 20 minutes. And that's not going to be the the role that he plays. But what he does do if is give DJ Smith a guy he can rely on in all situations. A guy who can play on a top line, but he's going to be your third best player on it. Or could he be the best player on a third line? And I think that that, the latter part of what I said, is where Ottawa expects him to be for the last two years of that contract. And if I'm not mistaken, it was DJ here when Connor Brown was playing with the yep. Leafs, so they played together. So it was, there's been that familiarity for, for mul- the past multiple years, a couple say. of seasons, yeah. Um, so you talked about him, Evgeny Dadanov, who I think was one of the, the steals of the offseason, getting him out of a three years at $5 million per. He's a guy who can score you 25 to 30 goals with his eyes closed. Um, you know, how big of a signing was that? And how surprised were you to see your boy Eugene Melnick actually fork out the dough like that to a, a top-end free agent? Well, it's the beautiful 2D jerseys. They've been selling off the shelves. I got oh, my black it? one at That's home. It, eh? Using that jersey money, <laughs> putting it to good use. But watching this guy's highlight reel, how many of his goals does he just beat 
beat Tendies clean. Like there's not a whole lot of there's not a whole lot of banging in rebounds and uh, the famous quote from Nikita Filatov, another rush, he says, Philly don't do rebounds. Not that Dadanov doesn't go to the net, but his wrist shot is so elite. The one thing that I think makes me a bit hesitant for, you mentioned 25 or more goals in the three seasons since he's been back. Who's going to get in the puck? Jonathan Huberto sold separately, and he is in a lot of those. He basically played with Barkov and Huberto all of the past three seasons. Now, down the road in the second and third year, do I think Tim Stutzla can be the guy to facilitate him? The third overall pick in this 2020 draft, yes, but not as soon as this season. So they need to find a center for him. That's really the biggest piece missing right now from Ottawa. And it sucks when you look at this, a team who had Matt Duchesne a year and a half ago. If he was supplanted onto this roster right now, I think it would be a much better situation for him. But he's gone. Right now the top center is Chris Tierney or Colin White. And are those guys really much offensive threats? Not no, really. I don't think so. Would you take Duchesne back on the contract that he's under no. currently? No, the contract's ridiculous. What, $9 million for eight years? I think you eight times eight, no? Eight times eight? I it could so. be, yeah, because him and Johansson had the same deal. Yeah. And then Turris was at $6 million on that same team. Wow. Um, no, I wouldn't pay Duchesne what he is, but he is so much fun to watch. Like, Funny enough, his short stint in Ottawa, I oh, I think oh, I, I found this out a couple of weeks ago. I'm, I'm not 100% certain on this, but it's something around. They won 41 out of 119 games when he was an Ottawa senator. That might be the lowest win percentage of anyone on a team more than a year. Now, that being said, he's fourth all-time in points per game by an Ottawa senator. And there's some good guys like Danny Heatley's over a point per game. Spets is right at that number. Alfie right at that number as well. So Carlson's got to be up there Car- too. He's close, but his first two years were not right. pretty. Yeah. He had that minus 30 year in his first year, similar to Morgan Riley. Uh, young defenseman exactly. just trying to make his way in the league. And, I mean, that team wasn't that great it throughout was a, his yeah, tenure. Exactly. Well, but. yeah, and then he had that one year that brought him up close where he had 82 and 82. So... Another couple of guys that they brought in to kind of rework that back end, yes. Josh Brown and uh, Eric Goodbranson. Goodbranson gets a lot of flack because the analytics aren't pretty on him. But I think for a team like Ottawa, to bring him in, um, and, and you know, I watched him a lot when he was in Vancouver and then a little bit, obviously, early in his career in Florida. Um, and from what I know of Goodbranson and what I've heard come out of the locker room is that he is a fantastic human. Yeah. And you got a young team who's not really competing anyways. You just want to set a culture. And I feel like Goodbranson, although he's not going to be an elite, elite defenseman that you ex- you would expect to bring in like his name value was a few years ago, he does bring in and help kind of set that culture that I think Ottawa wants to build and that they kind of need, kind of similar to like the Zach Bogosian deal here in Toronto. Yeah, well, funny enough, like I grew up playing with Eric Branson. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. We're both 92 birth years from Ottawa. And um, obviously, once Ottawa got AAA, which was a little later on, he moved up. I stayed at AA. But this guy has always been that way. Like he had to grow up super fast. His younger brother had cancer at when he was about 15, and he really took on a role Jeez. as a leader in his own family as well. So that's just translated into his NHL career. And he's one of those guys where he's not going to provide any offense, but he's going to be the first guy in when Tim Stutzel's getting pushed around, when Drake Batherson's getting pushed around, although Drake's been in a few fights on his own. But there's so many young guys, and you don't want Brady Kachuk to feel the need to be that guy. You want him on the ice rather than in the box. And when it comes to Eric Branson and Josh Brown, two six foot four, six five guys in the back end, big, ugly, Monsters. mean defensemen who are going to stand up for their teammates. So I think it's an awesome pickup. And a little... 
kind of behind the scenes, not that it's a surprise that Eugene's trying to cut as much money as possible, but you have to give Pierre Dorian so much credit, and not only for the fact, we haven't even mentioned Matt Murray, what a huge pickup that is to actually solidify the spot between the pipes. He's next. But when you look at this, they are past the floor in this team. Their actual salary to be do- to be doled out is fifteen million less than the ca- than what their cap hit is. Oh yeah. So to be able to play around as they did, like I know he has his hands tied, but Pierre Dorian and to hit, how often is a superstar traded and you win that trade? It, not it's, often. It's not often, and the the Carlson trade is already a huge success with yeah. Josh Norris winning Rookie of the Year in the AHL, and then the third overall pick coming in. On top of that. So I just think Pierre Dorian gets a, should get a lot of credit. And to come back to your initial point, he, these were the two moves that he did not get credit for among the fan base. People, a lot of analytics fans in Ottawa, as with a lot of the hockey world, where I think DJ Smith was the happiest guy in the world to 100%. get these guys on his team. And I think that speaks a lot. 100%. And, and you know, I, I've got a buddy who works in that organization. He He just speaks so glowingly about DJ Smith. And how great of a human he is, which is interesting. Coming a guy who uh, came up under Mike Babcock, who doesn't quite have the same reputation around the hockey world. Well, but I think he came up more <laughs> under Bob Bugner, who's got he, a good reputation. He did. You're right. He did. But he did coach under under Babcock yeah. the, the yeah, year in uh, with year, the Leafs, four but four years with the Leafs. Um, but uh, getting a guy like Good Branson, who's also just a great hockey person or just a great person within the hockey game, you and know that wh- he loves it. From what I've heard in Anaheim, like. The fans loved him right away. Remember that incident where Garnet Hathaway spit on him in one of the games last year? No. Hathaway gets suspended for 10 games. Oh, yes. And then he comes back. Sure enough, Hathaway's first game back is against Anaheim, and Goody just feeds him again. But Yeah, it makes you, sense. You just, <laughs> he, so he endeared himself to fans based on that. But he was a plus player, and he was playing with Cam Fowler. So it might be a lot to ask of him, and I don't expect him to be in a top pair situation on a competitive team. But it's not out of the question for him to start the year paired with Thomas Shabbat. Yeah, I think that'd be that'd be I mean, better than Zaitsev, who was there last year with him. <laughs> sorry about that. I mean, sorry, not sorry. Yeah. Uh, Matt Murray. Let's talk about that addition. Yeah, there. we're a goalie friendly show. Man, giving up a second round pick for Matt Murray was some shrewd GMing there by Pierre Dorian. You're right; he has not gotten enough respect around the NHL for how well he's been able to kind of rebuild this team when everyone knows how handcuffed he is. And only giving up a second-round pick, digging his heels in when they were like, no, they we want that first. that first at the back end. I think it was the Islanders first, what they were asking for. He said, nope, went ahead, made that pick. Riley Gregg. Or Ridley, Ridley Gregg. Well, that's Gregg. not even all, uh, Mikey. The Sens had two second-round picks before yeah, the pick right. they gave away. Right. In like so the that, top was their, five. that was their sixth pick in the draft. Yeah. To get a starting goalie for that is absolutely absurd. Now, the only thing where I think he'd lose a little bit of of cred here is the contract itself. 6.25 for an off-injured 26-year-old goalie who's only ever been in a timeshare seems a little bit much for me. Hey, he looked pretty good when he was winning those two Stanley Cups as the starter in both situations. Now, I, I hear you. He didn't play every game, both of those runs. And frankly, Ottawa Senators fans wish he didn't in the second year, because if he didn't come in, I'm convinced it was the game Fleury lets in four goals oh, yeah. in the first period of game three. Ottawa's already tied in the series. They go on and win that game, but then Matt Murray was unbelievable, especially in that double overtime game seven. But what Matt Murray brings is a starting goalie that every player on the roster right now can look at and say, we're not tanking anymore. We have a guy who is not, and I love 
Craig Anderson. I think what he's done over the last decade, being an old school type goalie, but yep. still being productive, power to him. One of the best playoff goalies too that that I've ever watched. But what Matt Murray does is he he validates this team as a proper NHL team, a team that going forward can compete. And Mikey, I don't mind the contract on our show. Brandon Pillar and I, we always say we're a goalie friendly show, but when's the last time you heard Ottawa overpaying a guy to stay? I don't mind one bit. If you're still paying under $9 million total in the crease, you're still in the middle of the league. So for someone, and he's he was t- doing his radio appearance from Muskoka, he's so happy to be back in the, the Ontario area and to come to Ottawa. Same with Gabranson. To bring in guys who want to be in Ottawa and be a part of it, I don't think that that can be understated as well. So not only do you sure up the most important position on the team, but you have a guy who wants to be there and wants to be a part of the solution. Best part, too, you mentioned the expansion draft. The way that the salary structure is, I don't think you have to worry about Matt Murray getting taken. And Ottawa has a few young goalies, Joey Decord most notably, who I think would be a really good target for Seattle. So if you decide to protect Joey Decord instead, this contract being four years takes you until Joey's going to be 26. And at that point... Maybe he gets a chance. So I think it's the perfect stopgap, but at the same time, you have a 26-year-old goalie who has two Stanley Cups coming in and putting, you know, an exclamation point on a position that's really needed it. All right. All right. I mean, considering the Leafs went years and years without having a legitimate number one, you know, I got to respect the fact that they finally went out and got themselves a number one because I know how important it is to achieve success. I was talking to Tony Ferrari, who I know has been on your show as well in the past, and we were making the comparison that both teams went out and got their starting goalie, Toronto and Ottawa, at the same point in the rebuild. Now, yeah. Toronto had to give up a first and a second. Ottawa had to give up a second. But then they both signed them right away, long term. Where, yeah, I think even at that point, Freddie Anderson, same situation as Murray. He was always kind of 1A, 1B with John Gibson. So you you commit to him for, I think, the same term. Four years? Five years. Five years. So one more year in Freddie Anderson's situation, but you commit to him and that deal at the time, five million, you're like, okay, like he's a good goalie, but are you are you really comfortable committing twenty five million to him? And that's similar to what we're doing here with Matt Murray. So I do see a lot of comparables in these two rebuilds. They have their franchise defenseman. Morgan Riley was there. Thomas Shabbat's one of the older players on this team, which is crazy to say at twenty three years old, but I do see a lot of similarities, and it starts at the top with DJ Smith, who's a part of both of them. Yeah, and uh, I guess that leads me to, to, to my next question here is how far back do you think the Ottawa Senators are to competing here in the Eastern Conference? I'm not talking Stanley Cup, but being a more respected <laughs> you know, team that just competes. So we can, Because what I think we need is to get the Battle of Ontario back on track. Oh, yeah, we missed each other, right? Ottawa had those great teams in the, in the late mid-2000s. And the Leafs were nowhere to be seen. And then 2017 was the one year where it almost overlapped. Yeah. But it didn't. And then, and then, then beyond just that, died. And just <laughs> completely died. Completely dead. The Ottawa Senators traded for Matthew Shane. They won their next two games in that weird situation where they played in overseas. Colorado, yeah, in Sweden. In Sweden. So Duchesne's first game with the Sens against his old team in a different part of the world. (laughs) They win both those games. They come back, they lose 11 in a row and 19 of their next 22 games. And that's, the wheels are off the 18-wheeler at that point. man. Brutal. Brutal. Um, All right, let's take one quick break. When we come back, we'll chat super quickly about the Board of Governors meetings. All right, welcome back to Locked on Lease Podcast. Mike DiStefano with you alongside me. I got Ross Levitan 
the host of the Locked On Sends podcast. Um, so the, the Board of Governor meetings went down today. Uh, not as many answers as we expected, but uh, TSN's Pierre Lebron reporting a few things of note. Uh, a potential change to the draft lottery, which I think is going to be interesting. I think uh, depending on what it is, and apparently they're asking teams for ideas of how they're going to to shake it out. But where do you stand here on the draft lottery? Are you I think a fan? it would have been nice to have this last year. It has a sense fan, eh? It's a bit tough timing <laughs> when you had two opportunities like Ottawa did. But I think that for a long period, this just doesn't make sense. And how does it still end up being the same teams that jump? Like the Rangers getting second, then first. Chicago getting to jump up and take Kirby Dock at three, two years, three years after they win the Stanley Cup. I just, and obviously New Jersey, the Devils getting two number one overall picks. Isn't it funny? It's these big markets in the States that are, uh, that are you, somehow getting their so top three picks. Do you believe that that ball that he dropped was yeah, a little yeah, funny weighted? that he dropped it, eh? Yeah, I know, yeah, right? Pr- pretty funny. Yeah, I'm, I'm team conspiracy <laughs> hey, theory man, for sure. It knocked out Toronto's ball. I know. Off, like Toronto was getting up there. We were like uh, a centimeter away from being Alexi Lefrenier's destination. And then, the heavily weighted New York Rangers come in and knock us right out of the tube, mm. and up they go, and mm. now they got uh, Lafreniere. Uh, so, yeah, potential change in the draft lottery. No details as to what that would be, but I think it's safe to say that it'd be welcomed by uh, a lot of fan bases and a lot of teams. Uh, also, something that's going to change, it looks like there is going to be a speaking period for UFAs, which they took out this year for whatever reason. Um, and, and I didn't like it. I thought that the speaking period made sense, and they're saying two or three days as opposed to a full week, which well, I am totally on board with. Yeah, based on the amount of signings that happened shortly after noon, I'm convinced that this period happened, whether it's it happens anyway. or not. It, it does, but I think what's interesting some is uh, like this this signing between the like Petrangelo. Yeah. He wasn't allowed to go out to right, and Vegas visit, right, and, and make that, that yeah. visit. Whereas if he makes that visit uh, before the deadline, like the the midnight deadline that night, maybe he realizes that he wants to stick around in St. Louis and he can still get that extra eighth year. But then once he you know has to wait until after July one or whatever free agency date is to go out and make that visit, now he's stuck and it's only seven year offers no matter what. Yep. So I feel like that gives that option. Um, but this one's the most notable one. Uh, no start date. They didn't say there was going to be a start date. They're still thinking January 1st is the most likely start date. But some some interesting news coming out of the NBA, and there was a report that uh, a proposal for a December 22nd start date. Does this make you think that Jan 1 is is more likely than maybe you would have thought a few days ago? If the NBA is going to go ahead before Christmas, maybe now the NHL can kind of get their ducks in a row and try and consider around the same timeline. Yeah, well, otherwise, I mean, outside of the lockout seasons, it'd be the first time that the NBA started their season earlier than the NHL. I just yeah. don't see a way where you can have training camp all through December. What, do you let them go home for Christmas and then come back? Listen, Or are you just telling them they can't go home at here's, all? Here's what I don't understand about people making a big deal about training camp. They literally had a week-long training camp before they got going for the return to play. And it was fun. Why do you need to have a, a, a whole month of training camp well, to I get think into for the this team, season? For the teams who didn't make the return to play, you have to give them some sort of why extra time because they haven't played hockey in 230 days. Do you really think that that's going to give them that big of a, a, a 
like make them that much better if they no, come back and get an extra it's, week it's of practice? chemistry, right? Because you know who the guys you're going to be skating with mostly. You want to get in some sort of rhythm first. I don't. I don't think it's that big of a deal. I'd rather them just get get it started. And if you're delaying the season by two extra weeks because you want to get a full two a full month of of uh, preseason in and and training camps, I just at this point. You know, you gotta you gotta give and take a little bit, and I'm willing to give up a little bit of 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 training camp just so that we don't have to delay the season. Uh, you know, two more weeks, two extra weeks. Yeah, well, in terms of being selfish and taking, I would love for them to start after simply so that we can have the best on best at the World Juniors. But I know the NHL does not care at all about that. They're gonna do what's best for the league. And what you have to think is they're gonna have to work backwards because NBC has the Olympics, and they're not gonna want any sort of NHL hockey in July. We're not getting an 82 game season. No. I'll I'll put that on record right now. I would be shocked if we saw 82 games. 48's I'm, nice. It's the same number they did for the lockout. And that's what I think and it was the, you no know, during the lockout is when they started in January, early January yeah. is when that kind of went down. So I could see them kind of reverting back to that structure, something they're familiar with and just have a half season. And if you're not going to have fans in the stands anyways and you're you're losing out on all that money and and it's expensive to run these games and and just it's a it's a weird year, and you just kind of have to to take it off the you know take it on the chin, and hopefully the world can get a little bit back in order by the start of the 2021-2022 season, and you could be ready to go and start that back up. You know, Seattle expansion will be coming in that season, and you can get the you can get it all back on track in one year just by making it maybe you make it like a 60 game season and you just kind of make more back-to-backs you're taking away the all-star game and you do some other things you speed it up a little bit and you have it finished by the end of june which is what you're looking to do anyways as opposed to delaying it a few years and trying to scale it back year after year after year and taking you know three four years to get it back on track yeah and you want to have it so that at some point this season a limited amount of fans are going to be able to go because you need some sort of gate revenue. I don't think it happens until, unless, probably not till the playoffs, in my opinion. Wow. I, I think probably the regular season, unless we do end up getting a vaccine, which there has been some developments over the, the past little bit. You actually today were producing game day and had a doctor on, and he said he could see a vaccine potentially becoming available by the end of 2020. That'd be nice. Right? As early as, as that, but more likely in, at the, the early 2021 in January. And if that's the case, he did also say that it seems like it's going to go more so to the, the high at-risk people. But also, you know how much money that these owners have. And if they can oh, get butts yeah. in the seats by giving somebody a quick test, uh, like a quick five-minute test, you know, that, that all of a sudden, everybody there becomes high-risk, and they'll end up getting those tests, right? So... We'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting. Uh, that's new for us here today on the podcast, though. I'd like to thank everyone for listening and supporting the show. You can subscribe to the Locked On These Podcasts on all podcasts and platforms and receive daily Leafs content. Follow myself on Twitter at McKinnis Canuck. Follow the show at Locked On Leafs. Ross, where can they find your work? Locked On Senators, right beside Locked On Leafs as well, anywhere you get your podcasts. And then if you want to come chirp us as Leaf fans, feel free to do so on Twitter at Send Central. It's too easy to do. Well, we've heard it all. I mean, there's there's not much you can say. The only thing that that gets a bit tiring is the playoffs, and we're so far back from like the two thousand early two thousands. And I yeah. just say I was in grade one the last year that that happened in two thousand and four. So, like you said, we need to get this Battle of Ontario back because 
it's like a recreation of Ontario now. It's there's no animosity. No, there's nothing like when when Matthews peaking a nameplate of a fourth liner is the biggest <laughs> animosity going, and it's not like we signed with the Marlies, behind. by the way. I know. Wow, funny enough. Yeah, small world. So Good for him though. That, that guy had a long and winding road. Another guy actually, the team I played on with Gabranson, Scott Sabern was on that same team. So another Ottawa boy. But, yeah, he was like 27 making his NHL debut. So mm-hmm. good for him. He battled back from a scary injury where he collided with David Backus, too. Just a solid character guy. Um, I'm happy to see him succeed. But, yeah, let's let's get back to the fake stick-throwing days, the the hit-from-behind days, and, you know, no love loss. And yeah, that's totally. what That's what the Battle of Ontario should be, and I hope it's sooner rather than later. And I'm going to be confident. I'm going to say within the next four years, I'm not going to go so far as saying what Eugene Melnick did, the Sens are going to win the Cup. I'm going to say we get a Toronto-Ottawa playoff series in the next four years. I hope so, man. I hope so, too. I really do, and I hope it's it's it comes when the world is back to normal and we can pack the Scotiabank Arena and the Canadian yep. Tire Centre and really feel... I mean, the Canadian Tire will just be packed with Leaf fans like usual, Fair. most likely, to be quite honest with yeah, you. They all, we have the beat the traffic chant that was used often in those <laughs> mid-2000s. I think we're actually coming up on on an, uh, the anniversary. I was going back, and there's uh, Ottawa scored 10 goals here coming up in a game that uh, obviously we're going to look back at on the show. But that, those years, like Danny Heatley had Sabres? 19 goals in 20. Yeah, it was the Sabres. Yeah, yeah actually Havlat my parents and, went to that game. Havlat and Alfie each had four goals. Yeah. So how's that? Um, speaking of Austin Matthews, four goals in a loss, and there's a little back and forth for uh, for the end of a battle right, of Ontario. Right. We're trying that's, to get it back here. That's the end. All right. Once you start throwing jabs out to my boy AM34, that's it. I got to cut your mic off there. But uh, no, seriously, Ross, thanks so much. That was a lot of fun. Hey, my pleasure. We'll have you back on Locked On Sense too. <laughs> Sounds good, buddy. Uh, if you want some more hockey talk, be sure to check out the Locked On NHL podcast where myself and four other Locked On hosts discuss the latest around the NHL. I'll be back with another episode on Monday. Have a good weekend, folks. Until then, keep it locked right here on Lockdown Leafs.